I heard a story about a uh, hooded robber that uh, burst into a bank one afternoon and he put a gun on the teller and demanded that uh, the teller fill up a bag full of cash. As the robber is leaving the bank, a very brave customer reached out and pulled the hood off of the man, revealing his face and his identity. The robber immediately shot the man. He turned around and he saw that the teller was staring right at his face as well, able to identify him. The robber shot the teller. Everybody in the bank is scared to death. They've got their faces you know, to the floor, afraid to make any kind of eye contact. And the robber stands there and says, did anyone else here see my face? No one says a word. There's utter silence until one old Norwegian fellow, without even picking his head up from the ground, raised his hand and said, I think my wife got a pretty good look at you. That was actually one of my better jokes, I thought. We have been studying what I am calling the greatest sermon ever preached. And in this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to deal with relationships. And he's going to deal with murder. And he's going to deal with anger. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. You are going to find as we go through this series that I'm going to repeat myself quite a bit. And you know what? I'm not going to apologize for that. In fact, I'm kind of doing it on purpose because I know that you know, we have to kind of hear things several times before it really sinks in and, and takes hold in our hearts. So before we really get going this morning, let me uh, review just a little bit of the things that we've, we've already learned. Perhaps. Help. One minute. Or do it one time. Yeah, okay, there we go. Very good. Jesus has been launching a new movement here on the hillside. He's talking to these people about a kingdom focus. He talked about the fact that Jesus wants us to not just know more, he wants us to do more. He wants us to, to be more. He talks over and over again about this knowing-doing gap. It's going to come up a lot of times as we look through the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus surprises the people on the hillside by telling them that they have been blessed, regardless of their circumstances and regardless of their shortcomings, what might have gone on in their life, they have been blessed. And then he tells them that they've been blessed to be a blessing, that they are to be the salt of the earth, like the world. And again, Jesus isn't just spitting out some kind of spiritual mumbo-jumbo here. He's not just throwing out sound bites of, of emotional, uh, you know, uh, make us feel better, little things to kind of boost our self-esteem. This is as real as it gets. Jesus is talking about some really practical stuff. You read through the Sermon on the Mount, what you find is it is a really, really practical sermon that Jesus is sharing. His thoughts, everybody deals with. And Jesus is trying to tell them. And I think he's trying to tell us, this is what a kingdom person is going to look like. This is what life in the kingdom is going to look like. So he says, be salt, be light. Jesus isn't just trying to change the way we think. He's trying to change the way we live every day of our lives. Be salt. Be light. Make things better. Okay, how do I do that? How exactly am I going to be salt and light? And so Jesus begins talking about a way. Talking about a lifestyle. Talking about an existence that leads to the good life. He's talking about the really good life that everybody so desperately desires. And the very first 
real-life issue that Jesus is going to talk about. He's kind of sort of getting into the um, practical application part of the lesson. And the first thing that he's going to deal with is anger. Now, it's kind of strange to me that Jesus is going to begin with anger. Why begin with anger? Why not somewhere else? Why not begin with you know, fear or pride or atheist or agnostics? Of all the places Jesus could have started with the practical application section here, why does he start with anger? And I think it's because Jesus knows our heart. And Jesus knows that so many of our struggles and our frustrations and our failures can be tied back to the fact that we have a real problem as human beings dealing with anger. We get mad. We get upset. We lose our cool. We say something that we wish we hadn't said. We do something that we wish we hadn't done. Jesus knows that anger is kind of a cancer that can permeate every single aspect of our lives. And so he says, I'm going to start with anger. And here's what he says. It's in verse 21 of chapter 5. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin, but anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Again, it's interesting that Jesus chooses to begin this part of his lesson, his his conversation with anger. And let's be real clear about what Jesus is saying here. You know, I think if I were to ask most people, now there's, there's no scientific research on this, but I think if I were to ask most Americans, deep down, do you believe that you're a good person? I believe that most people, the vast majority of Americans would say, yeah, deep down, I believe myself to be a pretty good person. And the line of reasoning goes like this. Well, I've done some things that, you know, I wish I hadn't done. I've made some mistakes, and I've got some struggles, but at least I haven't killed anyone. I've never murdered anyone. As if murder is kind of the separating line between good and bad. As if murder is kind of the tipping point in the evil. You know, I, I can rationalize all the other things that I might struggle with, all the other things I might have done, but, but I'm a, basically a good person because, because I've never killed anyone. And that line of reasoning actually goes back to the first century and beyond. So Jesus says, not so fast. As we're trying to decide where the line is between good and evil, as we try to decide where we draw that line in the sand, not so fast. Jesus knows that it's not just about keeping the rules. He said, you've always been taught to keep the rules. But this is, uh, this is a new movement that we're launching. And this is a new focus that were beginning. Jesus told them, you know the command, do not murder. By the way, they did know that command. It's number six on the top ten list, thou shalt not kill. But Jesus isn't making rules just for the sake of making rules. Jesus is saying, I'm changing where the line is drawn to be considered what's good and what's evil. Because Jesus knew that just keeping the rules didn't make their heart any more loving. And just trying to see how close they could get to that line without breaking the rule didn't make them more forgiving. Didn't give them more of a, a kingdom focus. So Jesus tells them, you know the command, don't murder. But in the kingdom, that's not where we're drawing the line. 
In the kingdom, murder is not going to be the tipping point. We're going to back way up. In the kingdom, we're not even going to show anger to each other. We're not going to get mad at each other. We're not going to be angry. Now, when Jesus said that to those people on the hillside, when we hear him say that to us today, you know, we've got a couple thoughts that run through our head. And the first is, how am I not going to get angry? How can I possibly go through my life and not be angry? I'm a human being. You know, we get angry. Clarence Darrow, the famous criminal lawyer, once said, everyone is a potential murderer. I myself have never killed anyone, but I frequently get great satisfaction out of reading the obituaries. And I think we kind of can understand what he's saying, right? We're human beings. We've all felt anger. Anger is kind of a spontaneous response to what we perceive as an injustice. Something that we see is not fair. Something we see is not right. We get angry about it. And psychologists will tell you that anger is actually a very uh, important emotion. That there are times when we should be angry. Because ang anger gives us uh, the impetus to, to make some corrective action for what we view as injustice or evil. And I think Jesus agrees with that. Because that's another thing that you're probably thinking right now. Hey, Jesus got angry. You're telling me not to get angry, but, but Jesus got angry. And of course, Jesus did get angry. When, when Jesus got angry, however, he handled his anger very differently than most people do today. Yeah, Jesus felt anger when he saw religious leaders taking advantage of the poor, taking advantage of the downtrodden. And Jesus got angry when he saw the temple being used as a place of commerce instead of a place of worship. But he handles that anger very, very differently. That anger doesn't lead him to violence against another person. It doesn't turn into resentment or contempt for another person. Jesus is warning about the kind of anger that's dangerous, the kind of anger that's, that's, that's damaging. You know, on the side of the hill that day, Jesus isn't trying to draw bigger crowds than all the other rabbis. He's not trying to out-preach all the other preachers. He's trying to, to launch a movement. He's trying to, to change people's lives. He teaches to change lives. And Jesus knows to change lives, we're going to have to change our attitudes. And to change our attitudes, we're going to have to change our hearts. So Jesus is talking to us, we're kind of straight to the heart here. Jesus said, I want you to live tomorrow in a better way than you lived yesterday. I want you to enjoy that life that, that people really are looking for. You know, the way we handle anger affects so many things in our lives. In fact, it affects everything. The way you deal with anger affects your marriage. It affects your family, your job, all of your relationships. It certainly affects your Christian witness. Well, how can we point people to Jesus when everybody's walking around with shells around us? Because they don't know when we're going to go off on something. Jesus knew this. And that's why he continues by, by saying this. So if you're standing before the altar in the temple, offering a sacrifice to God, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there beside the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Okay, we've got to stop right here for just a minute and realize what radical teaching Jesus has just shared. Remember, what is Jesus doing on the side of the mountain here? He's preaching. He's teaching. He's talking about spiritual things. 
This isn't a political rally. This isn't an Amway meeting. He's talking to people about spiritual matters. Who is he talking to? Well, for the most part, he's talking to Jews. Now, what is the most important thing for any conscientious Jew? The most important thing for any good conscientious Jew is Jehovah and their worship to Jehovah. Nothing was more important than that. They centered their life around the temple, around their worship, around their sacrifices. It's the most important thing in their life. Now, Jesus tells them, when you take your sacrifice to the altar and you remember that there is a festering, lingering animosity between you and someone else, what Jesus says is, don't worship. When you realize there's an issue between you and someone else, leave your sacrifice at the altar. Don't worship Jehovah. You go reconcile the situation. You go speak to the person. You go work that out. Then you come back and worship Jehovah. Then you come back and offer your sacrifice. There's one more example of Jesus saying something that we usually just blow right past. And we don't realize what kind of information he's just shared. But I tell you again, when Jesus told those people, those Jews, you fix a problem before you sacrifice, their jaw would have hit the floor. Wait a minute, there's nothing in our life more important than our worship. There's nothing more important than our sacrifice. And Jesus says, oh yes, there is. The way you handle anger, you've got to deal with it first. Jesus says, put it down, leave it. Go deal with your anger. In other words, dealing with your anger seems to be more important than the most important thing in your life. Jesus says, God doesn't want your sacrifice if your heart is harboring anger. God wants your heart. Think about it. We just communed around the table. And we shared the, the Lord's Supper together. How are we going to do that if there's someone in this auditorium that I'm that I'm harboring deep anger towards? How am I going to share a meal together if there's hatred in my heart? You know, we sing together. We sing songs like, How Great Is Our God. Sing with me, How Great Is Our God. And all the world will see, How Great, How Great Is Our God. How am I going to sing that if I've got to pay attention to what side of the auditorium I'm sitting on because I don't want to sit too close to somebody that, that I've got anger issues with? How am I going to pray to God for reconciliation? when I'm not willing to take the steps to reconcile someone, some situation in my own life. See, Jesus is saying, whatever's most important in your life, including your spiritual life, prayer, church, worship, study, whatever it is, you need to deal with your anger before you experience those things. I don't know what the most important thing is in your life. I don't know what's number one on your agenda for this week, but it just got bumped down to number two if you've got anger with someone. Because Jesus says the most important thing is dealing with that anger. And then he gives some advice on the subject of adversarial relationships. Verse 25. Come to terms quickly with your enemy before it's too late and you're dragged into court, handed over to an officer and thrown in jail. I assure you that you won't be free again until you've paid the last penny. Jesus is saying a couple things about reconciling our differences. The first thing he says is you need to take care of it. And you need to take care of it quickly. Deal with it. And deal with it quickly. Now those of you who know me pretty well know I am not a real confrontational guy. 
Some of you like that. That's your personality style. Fine, it's not mine. I do not like confrontation. I avoid it whenever I can. Sometimes you can't avoid it. And when I know that I'm going to be in, an, in a situation that's going to be some, you know, some confrontation, I'm prepared. And I measure my words very, very carefully. And like most people in confrontational situations, you know, we all try to kind of, kind of prove that I'm right and you're wrong. And that's, what, that's what our confrontation usually boils down to. But Jesus says in the kingdom it's not going to be that way. Jesus says you come to terms. Come to terms quickly. Now I, I know people, and you do too, who have put off having conversations with someone for weeks, months, maybe years. The conversation that they should have had to deal with an issue. And maybe it's because of pride. Maybe it's because of anger. Maybe it's because of hurt. Maybe you don't remember what it was about. But there's conversations that, that maybe you should have had a long, long time ago. Jesus says you need to deal with it, and you need to deal with it quickly. Not now, but right now. And then he says this. Go to the source. The King James Version translates verse 25 this way. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him. Whilst thou art in the way with him. Which is a very odd way of saying when it's just the two of you. When it's just you and that person. Go to the source. And go in the Spirit of Christ. I heard a story about a guy who spent three straight hours at the DMV standing in long lines dealing with really rude clerks. Insane regulations. He never did accomplish what he went to accomplish. So he leaves in utter frustration, total anger, and he's driving home and he remembers he's supposed to stop and pick up his son a birthday present. So he stops at the toy store and picks out a baseball bat. He takes it up to the, to the clerk and the clerk says, it's going to be cash or charge. And he snaps, it's going to be cash. And the clerk kind of steps back and he takes a deep breath and he says, I'm sorry, but I've spent three hours at the DMV and I am so angry. She rings up the sale and said, Sir, would you like me to gift wrap this bat or are you going back to the DMV right now? <laughs> You've been to the DMV, haven't you? Jesus said, deal with it quickly and go to the source of the problem. How many times have you found yourself in a situation where you look back and you know that it would have been very wise and really pretty easy to go to someone and say, you know that thing you said, that thing you did, that hurt me. And I feel like we, need, we have something between us. And I feel like we need to deal with it. And I want to have a conversation about that. But usually what we do is go to a third party. And we say, can you believe what she said? Let me tell you what he did. And we've all been there. And we've all done that including me. But Jesus says that's not the way it's going to be in the kingdom. Jesus says that's not how we're going to deal with anger in the kingdom. That's not how we're going to deal with unpleasant situations. We're going to be honest. And we're going to be open. And we're going to go seeking some grace and we're going to go offering some grace as well. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. How do we handle anger? I collect things. 
I collect articles. I keep files of illustrations and stories and all kind of things. I was going through a, a file that I've got on emotions and anger, and, and I found something that I saved a long time ago. I'm not exactly sure where it came from, but I think it fits today's lesson. Here's what, here's what I found. Again, I don't know who wrote it, but someone made this point. Before Jesus came into my life, the way I handled anger was not a great experience. When an angry situation developed in my life and I had to make a decision about how to respond, I would call together a governing committee, an advisory board, if you will, and together we would try to decide how to respond. I had become totally dependent on this advisory board, completely obedient to their decisions. At our meetings, even though I sat at the head of the table, I was never in control. I just sat back and listened to what the advisory board had to say and knew that I was just a spectator. To my immediate right, said a motion. Wow. Talk about an excitable board member. Once the meeting started, a motion couldn't sit still for a minute. There was no way of telling where a motion was going to go and what a motion was going to do. He was all over the place at every meeting. Beside emotion set feelings. She and emotion had developed a very close relationship. They, they were pretty much inseparable. Feeling always had to decide how she felt about a situation. Of course, feelings would flip-flop during the course of the conversation. Never knew exactly where feelings was going to land. Next to feelings set memory. Memory had a bad habit of bringing up the past and how it might deal with the situation at hand. Memory was really good at reminding us all of past calamities. Memory's favorite saying was, don't you remember the time? Next to memory, said imagination. What a fascinating board member she was. Nobody could paint a scenario quite like imagination. What wild ideas she would bring up. She never really dealt with the issue at hand. She was just always thinking about what might happen. Her, her might happen descriptions really affected emotion and feelings. Memory would remind us of past calamities. Imagination would, would warn us of all the things that might happen in the future. Memory and imagination seemed very close, had a lot in common. Next to imagination said reason. Now, you would think that he would be in charge of the meeting, but he never was. He wasn't quite strong personality as the others. He sat by himself. He was a loner. Yes, he would add things to the discussion, but never in a way that would, would cause anyone else to change their way of looking at things. Reason wasn't nearly as excitable as emotion or feeling. It wasn't nearly as colorful as memory or imagination. I'll give you an example of, of a recent meeting. Anger has the floor. Anger has the floor explaining the crisis at hand. Anger always seems to take control. The neighbor's dog has gotten into my trash again for the second time this week. And anger is demanding that something be done. Anger is demanding that some action be taken against the neighbor and against the neighbor's dog. It's the final straw. So as anger begins to speak, the advisory board comes to life. Emotion gets very excited, pulls his hair, shouting for action. Feelings has left her seat, arms crossed, deciding how she should feel about the situation. 
Imagination starts screaming, I can see it now. I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen next week if something's not done now. Memory starts muttering, Oh, I remember when this happened before. I remember. And reason sits there thinking, something needs to be done, but it's going to take a lot of time to figure out exactly what the right response should be. Pandemonium reigns. Pandemonium always reigns when anger is in control. Shoot the dog. Shoot the owner. We've got to do something. Some action has to be taken to let him know how angry we are, how upset we are. We've got to get even. We want satisfaction. Now you look at those pictures in that scenario. It seems pretty silly, right? But without Jesus, that's pretty much how people make decisions. And that's pretty much the process that people go through. Before Jesus came into my life, I would have followed my advisory board. I would react to situations. I would have vented my anger with wrath and rage, and I probably would have sinned in my anger. But Jesus says that's not how we're going to do it in the kingdom. In the kingdom, there's going to be a new focus. When we introduce Jesus into the situation, things change. We no longer listen to our emotions. Feelings don't get hurt. Anger doesn't dictate the situation any longer. Instead, we have a kingdom focus. Instead, we respond like someone who's been blessed. And we respond like someone who wants to be salt and wants to be light to the world. So before I respond to anger's demand for retaliation for, for what the neighbor's dog has done, I, I introduce Jesus into the equation. What a difference he makes. Again, emotion doesn't get all worked up. Feelings don't get hurt. Memory doesn't call up the past. Imagination doesn't paint wild scenarios of the future. Reason now finally sighs and says, finally. Finally. Is a kingdom member. I'm learning that I don't give heed to the, uh, that I do give heed to the, the Word of God for instruction. Jesus is guidance. And I'm going to get control of my anger so that anger doesn't have control to me. I'm no longer listening to my feelings or emotions. But instead I'm asking, where's the Spirit of Christ in this? And instead I'm asking, how can I glorify God in this situation? Which, by the way, are two great questions to always ask. Where's the Spirit of Christ in this? And how can I honor God with my response? How can I be salt and light with the way I respond to a situation? Think about what the world would be like if everybody lived their life this way. Think about what your life would be like. Think how enjoyable, how, how compelling life would be. And that's what Jesus is trying to do that day on the Hasada Fountain. He's trying to give this vision of how life could be, of how life should be. And Jesus' teaching really is, is turning the world upside down or attempting to turn the world right side up. Jesus is saying this is the life that everybody really wants if you only, if you only realized it. This is where real happiness and, and contentment and joy is found. That day on the hillside, Jesus makes this staggering statement. He says, we're not drawing the line at murder anymore. We're, we're drawing the line at, at anger. 
I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Which is a very convicting statement because we all struggle with anger. And we can try to rationalize that statement. And we can try to ignore it or minimize it or, or work around it. But that's what he said. Anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And I think that's what he meant. Jesus is teaching to change lives, to change attitudes, to change hearts. This morning, how are you dealing with your anger? Is it time maybe to, to leave your sacrifice at the altar and, and go have a conversation with someone? Is it time to put aside whatever you consider to be the most important thing in your life and, and show the Spirit of Christ in a situation? Bring glory to God in the way that we handle our anger? Jesus knows how important it is. He knows how important dealing with anger is. And I think that's why he begins with anger. I think that's why he starts right here where he starts. If you're going to have a kingdom focus, you're going to have to get a handle on your anger. This morning, maybe you need prayers of people who love you to help get a handle on your anger. Maybe you need to leave your sacrifice at the altar. Maybe there's something else going on in your life that you just... You want to share? You want to ask for prayers for? As a family, as always, we've got a song that we're going to sing. It's a song of encouragement. If we can minister to you in any way, there's going to be some people here at the front. Come let us know how we can help. Let's stand and sing.